It was about eight years ago. My son Ryan was eight at the time, and so a friend and I decided that we're going to go ahead and we're going to take our eight-year-old boys down to Camping World Stadium, site of the monster truck event. A couple of nights before, we get them all revved up, we're ready to go. It says, son, this is it, let's go. So they're excited, they're thrilled, we find the parking place, we survived the walk over to the stadium, we made it. <clears throat> we're there, we get to the gate because we haven't bought tickets in advance, they're sold out. It's not $20 to get in, it's $85 from the guy outside the stadium. So my friend and I, we say, man, we're crew staff, we're not doing this, 85 bucks, no way. Hey boys, we got an idea, let's just go around the stadium, you sit on our, we'll put you on our shoulders here, we'll put you up on our shoulders and we'll watch the event for a little bit and then when you get tired, we're going to go to Target and we're going to get soda pop and popcorn. How's that? They weren't too happy at that point, but we ended up doing that exactly. We put them up, watched the event, uh, they look onto the event, they're there, 10 minutes later they're saying, we're bored, let's go home. Well, guys, can I just say that nothing lasts longer than the memories that are etched in an eight-year-old boy? It is so incredible now. I got to tell you that if I go and say, hey, Ryan, how about if we go and shoot the shotgun next week? Uh, Dad, is this going to be like that monster truck thing? <laughs> hey, uh, son, how about we go to the flats next week and go fishing? Uh, Dad, is this going to be like that uh, monster truck thing? I'm still hearing it, guys. I'm sure. It's not going to matter the rest of my life. And that's just the reality of the way things work, right? We are called to be promise keepers. When we break that promise, they remember for sure. Well, fortunately, in my story, my parents were very faithful to a promise that they made shortly after I was born to say we're going to practice unconditional love. So when I was born, I was born with fingers that were fused on this hand. The thumb was very similar to these two fingers. Uh, this hand's always been like this. My feet are identical. At about age four, they separated that, but the doctor lost the blood, and so he amputated there. Conditions called ectrodactyly, kind of a rare one in 100,000 genetic condition, where just didn't quite come out right. But truthfully, guys, I gotta say, one and a half thumbs up, it's the easy part of my life. <laughs> so, all is good, all is great. You know, the truth is, is that I was a high performer. I broke par on a golf course my junior, senior year of high school made 56 free throws in a row, uh, was blessed with an incredibly great self-esteem. Uh, God has been good, God has been favorable, even though I didn't know him then. Uh, the difficulty in those days was that my parents weren't loyal to one another. And that was a hard thing, and junior high, high school got exceedingly messy. Ended up graduating uh, high school, I couldn't wait to get out of the house, away from step-parents and stepsisters, and went down to University of Oregon. About a 40 mile trip, got involved in alcohol from day number one. Uh, that consumed my life for the next four years of my life. I don't know how I graduated still, but somehow I made it. Graduated in advertising, found a job in San Francisco, California in an ad agency. And about three months into that, I bottomed out. Uh, bottomed out on alcohol. Remember the day, September 16th, 1983, sat across the desk from my boss, said, I'm sick, I have the flu, and I have to go home. And it was really shortly after that, <clears throat> riding across San Francisco in a commuter train, that I just kind of began to realize my life was going nowhere in a hurry. I'd heard about Christ all through my college days, finally just gave it up, surrendered my life to him, said, Jesus, uh, if you're real, it's a great time to show up. Forgive me of my sin. Make me the person you want me to become. Praise God. Shortly after that, 
Ended up heading back up to Oregon, tired of advertising, went into teaching, coaching. Uh, long story short, got connected into crew at Oregon State University, not Oregon. But I was living in Corvallis, and then I went to a conference up in Portland that a guy named Dr. Bill Bright said, come help change the world. And I thought, wow, that's a great vision. I think I can get on board with that. Uh, shortly after that, headed to Cincinnati, never been east of the Mississippi River. Today, a small boy from Toledo has seen more than 35 countries, lived in China for two years. It's been an amazingly significant, incredible journey. Uh, I couldn't ask for more. Uh, 92, met my wife, uh, uh, 90, met my wife Linda. 92, we were married. Uh, 96, we had our first son, Kyle, who just graduated from University of Florida. Is getting married March 16th. Uh, just got engaged two weekends ago. Uh, he has no biological, physical issues, praise God, with his hands and feet. And our second child, Ryan, is a sophomore at Timber Creek High School, child by adoption from South Korea. Uh, been a great joy, great love in our life. Uh, as mentioned, Athletes in Action, Communications Director, Director of Operations for Basketball. But probably one of the more defining moments was in 2005 when I turned to my wife, I looked at her beautiful blue eyes, and I said, honey, what would it be like to go overseas? And she looked at me and she said, you mean like for a week? <laughs> I said, I don't know what I'm thinking for sure. But long story short, next day, a friend challenged me to consider China. And we ended up going to China for two years from 06 to 08. Very transformative time in our life where many days I went out, uh, overlooked the 12th of the city on a deck, flipped open my Bible to John 15:5. apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. Uh, couldn't speak the language, was going to be in a cab for three day, or three hours, felt like three days. Three hours, didn't know for sure who I was going to meet, uh, what that day was going to look like, but we saw God do some amazing things. Thought we would go back to Ohio, long story short, ended up here in Orlando at the headquarters of CREW. Uh, was two days away from leaving our organization when I got a call, got an invite to come in and serve the president in a communications capacity, and it's been a great ride for the last decade. So just a little background for you on my life and uh, just a little story, but I wanted to shift fairly quickly here to the topic of the day, which is loyalty. I did a little synonym search, uh, faithfulness, obedience, steadfastness, devotion, adherence, honesty, integrity. Just a few of the synonyms. One of them popped out a little more to me than others, though, and that's submission. Uh, lessening, a lowering of self-interest to serve others. I thought, yeah, that's what I thought. Wow, that was a different take for me. I hadn't thought of that one, that it would come up. But then I thought about it, and I said, well, that defines God himself, does it not? We think about God as a great example of uh, his intense loyalty, of his intense passion, ultimately toward us, as God stepped toward us, and as he stooped down in sending his son Jesus for you and for me. And what a blessing that is to see. Jeremiah 31.3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. 1 John 4, 16 and following, God is love. And we love, and we can give thanks, can't we? That God stooped down for us. We love because he first loved us. Amen. What a great thing to remember. But guys, i got to say, there's a challenge. There's a problem. We walk, I walk, in such inconsistency. I want to do what's right, want to do the right things, just 
doesn't always lead to doing the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Jeremiah 17.9 speaks to this, right? The heart is deceitful beyond all cure. Who can understand it? Our hearts are flawed. We're born of a sin nature. You know, we don't live perfectly. We live imperfectly. I'm in the ministry. And I got to tell you, there's days and mornings I like my bed. You know, I, I struggle to get out of the rack, to connect first with the Lord. I'm a husband, and if you want to go pick up the magnet, my wife is crazily hot, man. I'm telling you, she's hot. But yet, for some reason, my eyes drift. You know, my eyes can wander. I'm imperfect. I don't necessarily live quite like I'd like to. Sometimes I say things that I don't follow through on. Here's a classic. Jason, I'll pray for you. <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? How many times have we said that and walked away? You know, I, I kind of fear that I'm hopeful that at the end of it all, when we're all level at death anyway, that people will be looking there and they'll say he's a man of integrity. The question is, if I was standing there watching them say those things, would I believe what's being spoken? You know, ultimately, there's challenges there when it really comes to living that life. And the question is, when I fall short, when you fall short, who can understand it? And there's good news, God does. God gets it. 2 Timothy 2.13, even if we are faithless, he is faithful. He will not deny himself. Amen? Amen. He will not deny himself. It's not about our being perfect. It's not about our performing. Um, you know, it's really about what God's doing in our hearts, even through our missteps. Amen? Because he's conforming us through those failures to become more like his son, Jesus. So it's not about the mistakes and the missteps. It's about becoming more like Jesus looks and Jesus is. I want to take a brief look at an Old Testament passage, Old Testament illustration. Uh, if you'll excuse me, I do have my Bible here, but I realized with my eyes, I'm going to read a lot better, I think, from my phone, if you will allow me to do that. Maybe, if I have it. It was here. Yeah, there it is. This is a story from 2 Samuel. All right. 2 Samuel 9, chapters 1 through 13. But before I go into the story, I'm going to share just a little of the backdrop with you. Backdrop to the story, you'd have to go back to 1 Samuel, chapters 17 through 20. I'm not going to have you go there, but while I'm talking, if you want to find the passage, again, it's 2 Samuel, chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. I'm going to read it in a minute. But in the backdrop, some of you may even recognize chapter 17, David... It's about David. David's one who's flawed. David's one who, who is imperfect. We know that, yet he's a man after God's own heart. David, as a young boy, has killed the bear. He's killed the lions. Now he's slaying Goliath. So David has slayed Goliath in 1 Samuel. And then he begins to have all of these military conquests. David is having these successes. It's incredible. David's being elevated and lifted up. And in the backdrop of that, we have King Saul, highly insecure, who is growing envious. We see King Saul becoming more and more envious, more and more concerned. David poses a threat uh, to, to the king and to his kingdom. Then we're introduced to Jonathan, Saul's son. And so Jonathan, Saul's son, begins to see through his dad. 
And he starts to see that, ah, I don't know that dad has this right. I like David. So Jonathan begins to align with David. And in the context of that, it's Jonathan and David who begin to form this personal covenant, this personal agreement that actually takes place. And the agreement's fairly simple and logical at some level. It's, hey, um, David, my dad's coming after you. I'm going to agree to protect you. I'm going to agree to help you and to keep you safe from my father. And then Jonathan, who initiates, says, and David, it'd be really great if you did the same for me. If you've got my back, and oh, by the way, if something happens, if you would take care of my family forever. And that's the essence of the agreement that's there. Well, as the story goes on, we know what happens. Uh, ultimately, um, perhaps you know, but there's an episode in the field. Some arrows are shot. Uh, Jonathan ends up saying, David, you need to flee. You're in trouble. They part ways. And uh, off they go. They go their separate ways. Well, as the story continues, it's Jonathan and Saul who end up being killed. David lives. David ends up becoming king. So there's the backdrop to the story that we're now going to look at in 2 Samuel chapter 9. <clears throat> David asked, is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness? Ziba answered the king, there is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makur, son of Amiel in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makur, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. For I will surely show kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, your servant will do whatever the Lord, whatever my Lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Micah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Just out of curiosity, I wonder how many of you that story is new to. Anyone? Or? Yeah, a few. Okay, it's not a story that necessarily we always gravitate toward, but... Uh, I think it's a, uh, it's a powerful story, and it's a great story. 
And David in it asked two questions fairly early on. Verse 3, he asked the question of what can I do for God? Personally, with the new covenant and relationship with Jesus, I'd rather ask the question, what can I do for God with God? Uh, I want God present with me in the work. But David asked the question, what can I do for God to show him kindness? Verse 1, he asked another question, which is, what can I do for another? What can I do for Jonathan? That's the question, honestly, that I'm not sure that we, as men of God, necessarily ask as much as we should. What can I do for another person? What's a step that I can take into a life? What can I do to make someone's journey a little richer and a little better? I think this passage is wonderful to read through the lenses of the various characters that are in it. It's one of those passages I really invite you to go back to and put yourself into some of the character's shoes. Obviously, Jonathan's dead, but what might have he thought? Or what's David thinking? And then you can look at Ziba, this servant of Saul's household, and you can look at this little character, lame in both feet, called Mephibosheth. And you get it that these guys are afraid. They'd be scared. They'd be horrified. Because what's the custom? The custom is the king takes out, right? Anyone who's a possible threat, the king massacres. It's done. These guys are showing up in the presence of the king thinking that this could be it. It could be over. It could be gone today. So it makes sense that Ziba would be afraid, that he would think of himself as a dead dog, that he would be feeling some of these things. But what happens? David stoops, right? David takes a step. David moves toward him, and he, he exceeds their wildest expectations. He exceeds their wildest dreams. And he says to Mephibosheth, all that belongs to King Saul is yours. David fulfills his agreement. David becomes that promise keeper example. And I, I've thought about it, and I'm pretty sure that David probably remembers the words that he spoke. I do imagine that that happened, right? But more importantly, I think, this is me, I think, I think that David really remembers more than that. I mean, it's one thing to remember. It's another thing to act, especially when Jonathan's dead. He's gone. He's out of the picture. So I think David's response really flows from a heart of gratitude. I think there's gratitude that's welling up inside of David. He, he knows he's been favored of God. David has been victorious and blessed in battle. Uh, David, at that point, has, has been saved, rescued by Jonathan. Uh, David's been chosen as a king. You get this sense that there's so much that David has to be thankful for. David's grateful, and this heart of gratitude, I think, compels David to honor his commitments. I think it's this motivation. It is his motivation for being able to stoop low, to humble himself, to not be proud as a king, and to reach down to not only this lowly servant of Saul, but also he reaches down as well to a social outcast. And David says, hey, you know, I remember. I remember you and I affirm and honor you. Well, guys, you know, there's some great characteristics that we can have. Um, it's wonderful to feel loved. It's wonderful to feel accepted. I think it's great to be thankful. I think those are the, that, that's the bedrock, the bedrock, I think, the foundation, the cornerstone for us being able to really step into the lives of others. I really believe that. 
And yet I, I have to say that sometimes if we're not treated rightly, we don't necessarily feel like doing the right thing, right? It's easier to be loyal, intensely loyal. It's easier for you and for me to step towards someone, to honor a commitment. It's much easier for that if someone's really showing us love, if someone's performing on our behalf. You know, sometimes I think that uh, it's astonishing, even silly, as a little bit of an aside here as to what we're loyal to. I just gave some thought to that, and I thought, wow, you know, at age eight, my son was loyal to Gravedigger. <laughs> I'm glad he switched that loyalty, actually. But, um, you know, now he's loyal to slaying fish. Nothing wrong with that, but he's very loyal. You know, some of us are, are loyal to pets. I mean, we had a little poodle for about six months, but it bit my wife. It wasn't, we weren't loyal to that pet anymore. <laughs> that pet went walking. Uh, my wife said, that's the end of that loyalty. Uh, some of us are loyal to brands. We're loyal to products, right? Toothpaste and certain hair gels and, you know, clothing. Some of us are loyal to sports teams. <laughs> it's Friday, but Saturday's coming. Yeah. Woo! Who's excited about tomorrow? I'll tell you what. It's going to take a tow truck, an absolute tow truck, to get me off the couch tomorrow at 8 p.m. All right? I'm showing up. I'm there. And if the two years of pain that I've endured these last two years of Oregon football have taught me anything, what it's taught me is this, is that even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to watch because I'm a fan and I'm loyal to my team. Right? There's a certain loyalty that's there. And it's amazing the things that we're loyal to, but the questions are this. Are we that loyal to stepping into what's really significant? You know, are we just as loyal into stepping into what really matters? And are you willing to step toward God and are you willing to step toward others with an unconditional love? Not based on what someone else happens to do for you, that we're paying a favor in return. Or is it that our commitment and our actions are more conditional and more based on what we feel? or perhaps what God has done for us. You know, it's possible some of you are sitting here and you feel like God has given you the short end of the popsicle stick. It's possible that you feel like, you know, you haven't really experienced God's love in that way or that favor. You know, maybe for some of you, life has been about some loss. Maybe you feel as if God has abandoned you or you're a victim. You know, it's possible that you look at God as the taskmaster. And God is this God that you simply have to obey out of duty. And you don't have that real heart desire for Jesus. It happens. It's possible. It's more difficult to live devoted to God and to really desire Jesus when you're dutifully just going through the motions. It's a tough thing to do. It's tough to be loyal in that circumstance. And I love the words of A.W. Tozer, a theologian, former pastor, author. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into our minds, men, when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Take a moment. Give it some thought. What's your view of God?
And secondly, what's contributed to that? Why is it what it is? I hit a bump at uh, midlife, brief bump, feeling depressed, hating life, ungrateful, woe is me. I remember going out with Keith one day to a lake up in Ohio, a pond. We were talking, and Keith said, Greg, he said, I just recently began to try something. I said, what's that, Keith? He said, well, you know, he said, I'm just simply waking up and I'm asking one question. And I said, what's that? He said, uh, I'm just simply asking this to myself. How many times today can I give thanks? Wow, that's a good question, Keith. How many times today can I give thanks? You know, that might be your first step today. Your first step might be, I gotta go back to that. Am I really grateful of heart? How many times today can I give thanks as I move through this day? And I think, guys, that that is bedrock at some point to loyalty is to begin to cultivate that heart of, of gratitude. It's the first step that some of us might need to take. Briefly, back to the Old Testament passage, bringing us toward a close. You know, I, I, I really like to think about Mephibosheth. I, I identify with Mephibosheth. And it's not as you would think. It's not about the deformities men. You know why I identify with Mephibosheth? Because I'm crippled in heart. Because I'm broken and I'm crippled in heart, man. Amen. That's why I identify with him. And you know, God, through David, into the life of Mephibosheth, does what? He extends mercy. And he shows him grace. Broken in heart, man, what has God done for us? He has sent his son Jesus here as a picture of God's incredible love and grace for us. I love the acronym GRACE. God's riches at Christ's expense. Guys, if you have nothing else in this world to be grateful for, can you be grateful for that? Jesus has rescued you. Jesus has rescued me. He has brought us into such a great salvation that we have opportunity to be able in turn to lessen ourselves and to begin to serve into the interests of others. I have a chance to be loyal to my commitments because God has been loyal to me. I have a chance to be able to actually honor my spoken word because God has honored his word to me. And I can be thankful and I can be grateful and I can move into whatever this day holds. Let me close with this, final words, final illustration. You know, truth is, most mornings, if I can be honest, I actually do get out of bed, and I actually do meet with the Lord. Most mornings I make it. I make it actually to the pot of coffee first, because no good quiet time happens without a big cup of coffee. Amen? Amen. Gotta have coffee. Amen. Get my big, huge cup of coffee. I find my way to my chair, overlook the pool, and we look into an open area with a pond, fairly traditional Florida for a lot of us, looking over the pond, and I enjoy it. But, you know, I find in those moments that that's my time to worship God. That's my time to begin to empty myself of me, and as I sit there, and some days as I just abide, as I do nothing but just sit in his presence, I find myself like Mephibosheth, 
I'm at the table with the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Jesus. And I find myself just overwhelmed with his love. And I find myself growing grateful. And I find myself growing in gratitude. And I find myself appreciating my wife. And I find myself valuing my sons. And I'm thankful for my work. I'm thankful for what God has called me to today. I can make the promises that need to be made. I can fulfill the commitments and step into what's challenging. Because it's not me. It's God working through me by the power of his Holy Spirit as I dwell in the presence of Jesus to kneel, to bow down, and to step into the lives of other people. And to say, Lord, not because of who I am, but because of who you are. And an incredible love for you, I can live faithful. And so can you. Men, be devoted to what matters most. Be grateful. Love God. Serve one another. Be keepers of your word. Honor your commitments. Let's pray. Father, we do just thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Father, we give you praise. We thank you, Father, that you, Lord, are the ultimate promise keeper. Thank you, Father, for your incredible love and loyalty toward us. Father, protect us. Guard our hearts from performing, from going through the motions. But God, I pray for each man here that you would deepen their devotion and heart commitment to respond rightly to your first love. Thank you, Father. Develop hearts of gratitude and thankfulness for Jesus and for all you've done for us that allow us to move into our commitments with passion, with fervor, and with hope, Lord. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.